Hi, Seam. You're listening to Equally Lost, the weekly podcast on design, business, and existential crises. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Elsa. Welcome to season two. Oh my God. How how did we come so far? Like, what have I been doing with the rest of my life in this past like months? I don't know. You haven't been doing anything. You've just been thinking about the podcast, nothing else. Right, right. I mean, who could believe it? Like, you know, um, especially since we started off telling ourselves that we would just record eight episodes. Okay, I mean, we said that we'd record eight because that was like a very kind of attainable goal, I think. But I think we went into this like really wanting to do it. So I'm not at all surprised that we've gone this far. (laughs) And we committed fully to the podcast. We did. And like, yeah, we're trying to like really kind of ramp up the production quality now as we go forward like you're hearing our new jingle you're gonna you know see some cool new editing stuff um and we're also gonna have guests this semester. i was gonna say this semester this season so look forward to that yeah so stay tuned and also let us know what you think about this and how we can keep improving we really appreciate your inputs yes we do and don't forget to rate us on itunes and subscribe wherever you're listening Dude, I have so much to talk about today. (laughs) Really? Me too, actually. I'll start with the least interesting one, which is that I take four classes a semester. And the semester, one of them is something called semantics, logic and cognition. It's in the philosophy department. It's like completely, you know, like basically has nothing to do substantially with what I'm doing for my degree, which is political science. And because of COVID last year last spring they instated this policy that you could take well in spring 2020 you could take all of your classes pass fail with no ramifications um obviously because it was very volatile and then last fall and this spring it's like you can take one class credit no credit and it won't affect like your major anything and i am really really tempted to just pass fail this class because I go into the class and I'm just like this is in theory very cool but I have three other classes that I actually like I'm super interested in and this is just taking up a lot of my time and the reason I'm thinking about this is because right before we started recording I was working on my midterm which is due in 12 hours and I'm just like I really cannot be bothered like it just doesn't seem that important. So what do you think? Honestly, drop it like it's hot. <laughs> I'm not going to drop it. I still want credit for it. I mean, yeah, credit I for it. I mean, pass it like it's hot, honestly. I share the same feelings uh, with a course. So I have three mandatory courses uh, this semester and a dissertation to write, which I beginning like I'm in a very slow process with that I was just working on it today actually and and then I'm taking an extra class because this bitch hates herself and likes to overwork um so I'm taking this extra class it's actually super interesting like I find it way more interesting than my like mandatory courses um and it's about fiscal macroeconomics so all like the debt strategies and like we look at case studies on whether you know countries should structure their debt and how you can do like good fiscal policies and it's really interesting in the in the context you know post-covid post-eurozone crisis 2012 like with Greece and like uh, Italy blah 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 and like the course structure is like the super knowledgeable guy that worked at the IMF for like years so you know but the, the issue is that 
um, I kind of, you know, um, I've been, uh, I've fallen behind because I was focusing on my midterms, which were about the three mandatory courses. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna skip the lectures, whatever. And now whenever I tune in, I just wanna cry because one, he explains the material to us as if we were like, is fucking peers at the IMF, which um, I'm not qualified for. And two, like I skipped so many classes and they're talking about depth and it's like, they're talking about this like new, I don't know, like conspiracy theory. And I'm just like, okay, so what should I do? Um, But like, I'm really conflicted about dropping it or not. Also because it's like a huge exam. It's also a really, really hard subject. But the other side of me is like, Sophia, you committed to this. You wanted to do it. It would be a shame like if you didn't put the effort. So do you guys have, how does, I don't know how it works at the Coney. Like, do you have a GPA? Yeah, we do. Yeah. It counts towards your GPA. Yeah. So do you think you would take a hit on your GPA if you like kept the course? Yeah. I mean, it's quite hard. Like it's quite a hard course. Like if I keep it, I really need to start like working for it. And I don't know if yeah. I'm bothered because I'm not bothered to do the mandatory ones. Like the only things I like doing are my are the podcast, uh, my extracurriculars, and um and um my dissertation. Like I think yeah. you know, I would rather spend that time for extra stuff than for an extra subject. You know? Yeah, I yeah, I'm having the exact same conversation with myself, and I think the question it comes down to is like, does it add value? Because in a way. It's like if you're actually learning something, like if you truly feel like it's like contributing to your education, then at least the way I feel is like I've had like one really hard class where I didn't get like, I mean, I got an A minus, which is a good grade. But like, you know, I didn't feel bad about it at all because I learned so much in it. So like I completely justified this to myself. But then it's like, you know, if you don't really feel like this class adds value to your education and then you get like a B in it, you're going to hate yourself for like taking a hit. No, I think it has value. Like, I think it's among the four courses I'm, I'm taking right now. It's like the most useful one, to be honest. Like, yeah. for actual knowledge that I would retain for years. But I mean, why do I have to complicate my my life? You know, unnecessarily since it's not really a requirement anymore. And I also wanted and to. And it's still a um, pandemic. Yeah, and I also wanted to actually take a Chinese language test and get a certificate. So I just rather study for that um, because that that thing will last for me for life. While, yes, I understand how that works, but I'm not gonna remember that next year. That's a good point. So I don't know. I think that's a pretty clear judgment. I know these things are like always like I know these things are like super clear to other people when you explain them they're like Elsa like you should like you should just like fucking pass fail the class and not think about it anymore and I sh- I'm like you should take the Chinese exam and not think about it because of the reasoning you just gave but then you're in your own head you're always like oh my god <laughs> like, yeah yeah I mean yeah. like in your like like, you know, you know, it's like on your head, you've already structured all the arguments, you already structured them around the decision you already made. It's just that you have to accept the decision. Exactly. And, you know, the, the cost of that is my ego and my, you know, not doing the extra thing and like not putting like the ethical, my usual work ethic into things. But I can be arsed, to be honest. So anyways I love that you like brought this like I love that we we share a brain cell on this because the thing that I was gonna say is like you know exactly like you said like I've already structured everything I'm doing around the decision that I'm gonna pass fail um like when I'm writing this midterm and I'm not gonna do like a round of edits on it I've already kind of like 
resigned myself to the point where I'm going to write it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to proofread it, I'm going to submit it, which means that I'm not going to get like a 95 on it. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to get on this because I've never done a philosophy exam. I don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. But the only thing left for me to do is like submit the credit, no credit form. And the thing is like, once you submit it to the registrar, you can't undo it. Like that's it. And I think like deep inside of me, there's that voice where it's like, no, Elsa, you could totally do it. You could totally do it. You just do it. Oh my God, you're being such a bitch about this. Just do it. Like get over yourself. Don't let everybody down. And I'm like, no, like this is not the productive thing to do in this case. Hey, like my internal voice is like, if you just drop like an extra course, you're just being lazy. Like, don't get so lazy, yes. you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, because like, I mean, the true rationale if we're actually going to talk about like what's productive to do is that just as you said, just making this minor adjustment, which is dropping the course, is going to make everything else flow so much better. And it's the exact same for me. Like all of my three other courses are going to go so much better if I just pass it out, if I just submit that form. Which productivity rule is this? It's 20. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, great. Okay, I guess I'm going to pass fail. Thank you for confirming that to me. Yeah, I'm going to drop it. <laughs> <laughs> great. Now that we've got that off the agenda, the second thing I wanted to talk about was, um, and Sophia knows this because I've been sending her screenshots about it and like screaming, but like, so I've been listening to Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg on Audible. Oh my gosh, she's so good. So, okay, I bought this book I want to say like a week and a half ago because I was listening to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biography the thing is that thing is 29 hours long or something like that and I was kind of getting to the point where I couldn't listen to it all the time and so I wanted I had a credit left on Audible and I was like okay what do I want to listen to and I wanted something a bit more self-helpy because I think that's just like fun to listen to and um I'd heard a lot of great things about Lean In, but then, you know, so Sheryl Sandberg is the chief operations officer of Facebook. And before that, she was at Google, Harvard MBA, that type of deal. And uh, I was like, oh, like this corporate white feminism, like it's not going to do anything for me. It's going to be just like the same type of, you know, girl boss thing as everything else. But as someone who has now listened to it one and a half times, like she is on to something that woman knows some shit i am so thoroughly impressed does um i haven't actually read or listened to her book um but i watched some of her like famous step talks and i and i was thinking like yo i want to have that level of confidence in my life um and the level of competence and also i remember vividly like this scene she's talking about in one of her ted talks where she's like well, you know, um, you know, we girls need to help each other and support each other. But I realized it was the first one not doing it. And she describes how when she was surrounded by a team of like interns and she was asking questions and then all the guys like raised their hand immediately. And then one of the female interns uh, came to her and was like, oh, I learned something today. I need to raise my hand higher. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because she didn't notice that. And I was like, damn. And that's true. Like how many times like in class you raise your hand, like, you know, shyly, like, oh, yeah, like I actually have something to say but I mean I don't really want to bother kind of thing and you have a really valid argument to make and that gets unnoticed 
Yeah, I think the story of that was, at least in a book, it might be like multiple instances, but in the book it was that she was giving a talk to like probably a Google team, I want to say, or like somewhere, mm-hmm. or it might have been a TED talk, I don't know, she was giving a talk to a large crowd of people and she said that she was only going to take two more questions and then the the woman came to her and was like, oh, I need to like raise my hand and it was because like after she had already taken two questions, the men had kept their hands up while the girls had like put them down like nicely. Oh, yeah, and, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah, roles. yeah. Actually, yeah. I think it was it was that scene. I, I, I watched it like yeah. a couple of years ago, so I don't really remember. Yeah. But that yeah, no, I feel the same way. That was like, damn, I've definitely done that. I've definitely been like the person who's like put her hand down because I thought they weren't taking any more questions. It just mm-hmm. hit me like a ton of bricks, dude. another um similar book that i actually never got into reading about was like reading reviews on it and it was uh, recommended um to by a friend um is called uh nice girls don't get the corner office yeah classic and it's all about yeah like how girls have been doing everything wrong (laughs) and how you shouldn't (laughs) you know uh shame yourself or or you know shouldn't be afraid of being a bitch quote to quote yeah it's just actually like being confident. I don't know if there's, I think there's like an updated version of that, which is mm-hmm. n- nice girls still don't get the corner office, but what I, and I, they might've like changed the content in that one. But what I remember from the original one is that like some of the advice in it was kind of archaic. Like the author was saying that, oh, like if you wear pants, people aren't going to like, no, sorry. If you wear a skirt, people aren't going to take you seriously. And I would like to believe that in like the year of our law 2021, we're kind of like in a place where women could probably wear a skirt to work and like still be taken mm-hmm. seriously. You well, know what I'm saying? I was talking, um, it's actually ties well with, uh, you know, um, the event I organized for the, um, the, the student society I'm part of. And we did like this event on female leadership. So we called in like big C, like female CEOs and in the corporate space. And they all talked about how in the previous, um, in the previous stages of their career, they would, you know, try to make them try to blend themselves with the crowd, like, you know, uh, because they worked in really like male dominated fields like finance and they would like wear, you know, a black jacket, pants all the time um, and, you know, um, try to be as unfeminine as possible. And now like CEO like uh, was giving the talk and like holding the panel, hosting the panel with us, like wearing a red lipstick, which is something that's really bold for like, you know, a professional environment. And she's like, you know, wear what makes you you and don't like wear wear bright colors, wear like stuff that, you know, um, shows your personality. Don't try to make yourself invisible um, because at the end of the day you should be evaluated by your competence and not by your looks absolutely something that Cheryl Samba was talking about she dedicates an entire chapter to I don't even know how to like phrase it it's titled don't leave until you leave and the idea is that women tend to when they're young and you know when your career progression is very quick tend to like subconsciously be like holding themselves back already thinking like but what if at some point I have a family, then I can't take the right. responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She talks about it in the TED talk yeah. as well. That was so, my God. Okay. Like I was actually mind blown. I listened to it twice thinking like I'm 21 years old. If I have kids, I'm going to have them in like 10 years. I have no intention of having kids in my twenties ever. 
at this point at least like you can't plan your life I guess but you know that would be my intention my mom had me when she was 34 and I feel like that's a pretty good age in my opinion and yet I was like reflecting on it as I was listening and I was like oh my god like I have 100% done this where it's like you know I can't possibly go and like shoot for partner in a law firm because what if I have kids then I won't have time to do that like these are ridiculous hypotheticals like that decision is like 15 years away <laughs> like yeah yeah 100% I also had that like I when I was you know um think about jobs I was like oh yeah but I mean if I have this uh, like job that requires really long working hours then how I'm gonna have time to like look after this thing and this thing and maybe I think eventually then it means I have to change careers and something like that and she talks about how you know progressively start taking on less and less work which also hinders your promotions obviously because you don't know what's going to happen and actually like this happens to me with university as well but not to the same extent like when you know even with this course um the course I was telling you about earlier I think the counter argument and what makes me undecided about it is that um recognize um having this a uh, whole thing about dropping the course because actually I feel really stressed out by my thesis and I'm like scared I'm not going to do the job well if I don't drop the course, like if I don't, if I don't you know, um, mm. alleviate some of the workload that I already have on my plate. And so that's why I'm really conflicted about it. And I always think consciously about this. Yeah. And I mean, like, the thing is, in the States, people who are like pro-women at home call themselves like pro-family values I guess like those people would be like oh but you know children need their mother to be home and therefore it is natural for women to make these considerations but like no the the evidence to say that we can all totally do both is that men are routinely assumed to be able to do both with absolutely no ramifications at all uh, the, the thing about the assumptions about men is also ties to the fact that, you know, in the literature, at least about, you know, sociology, family, or like even the feminist literature, like men share the double burden, you know, the burden of the household and the burden of the workplace. Men don't have that because they have yeah. a wife at home that's going to take care of the kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm doing a lot of <laughs> reflecting on Cheryl Sandberg. And I think it says something about like how hard it hit me is because like, so I was literally like in class, I think, and there was like a minor inconvenience. Like I started thinking about like, oh my God, like if I get called on, I'm so gonna like fail at this. Everyone's gonna think I'm so stupid. I'm like constantly preparing to like just embarrass myself, which is also something that she talks about. And like in my head, there was Cheryl Sandberg and Cheryl Sandberg in my brain was like, lean in, lean in. <laughs> she's really she's made a home somewhere in my hypothalamus she has a little nook that's there great where she just, where she just talks that's to me great yeah so i'm <laughs> gonna continue i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to house cheryl sandberg in my brain sophie did you have anything else you wanted to talk about i haven't done even get me started it's about the whole mess um you know uh february i think was it february or yeah february we had the whole mess around gamestop and now we got a similar thing on wall street 
um, weird archigo, archigo, archigos, archigos. I don't know. People have different pronunciations of this. Yeah, so basically, what happened last Friday? This guy was、uh, having really large positions on some shares he wanted to be long on, but it wasn't actually long long on the shares、um, by buying them, but through like swap contracts, which is a very complicated thing. I'm not going to.、Uh, Go into、uh, the details of. Basically, what happens is that、um, they had lever high leverage on the shares, like meaning that it was borrowing a lot of money to、uh, do this kind of investment, and so the prime broker started calling for a margin call, which means the broker comes to you and is like, "Okay, if you want me to hold this, you need to put in more money into it because there's too much leverage." And some banks started、uh, tried to control it by、uh, doing block trades, where they like control the sale of the shares in order to reduce it. But some banks were like, you know, fuck off. I'm gonna sell. I'm gonna sell,、uh, sell it to the market because you're not gonna give me the extra money. It's too leveraged. But then what happens is in the market, everyone just starts seeing this massing sellouts, and people are like, who was doing this、uh, for what and why? And it turns out it was this guy, Bill Huang, who, what, by the way. Paid forty-four million dollars in fines to settle U.S. illegal trading charges in 2012, and in 2014 was banned from trading in Hong Kong. This one I、and、remember. I read about of, this. Yeah, and this yeah. guy was the head of this family office in、um, Hong Kong. And so on Friday, like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Brock the Clover, and started dumping multi-billion-dollar positions in、uh, U.S. and Chinese stocks, and they did it on behalf of this dude. But like the issue is, why on earth would some of the biggest investment banks think it would be okay to, you know, let this very opaque family office with a founder that has a history of regulatory issues、uh, do this kind of shit show and do this kind of do this kind of stuff? And this is because there are loopholes in financial regulations. The status of family office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exempts you from a lot of the standard regulatory disclosures demanded, for example, for hedge funds. And so, basically, family offices don't have to register with the Securities and Exchange Commission because of an exemptions for firms that have、uh, fewer than like fifteen clients or so, which is like the nature of family office. Family office basically an office that manages a large sum of money from a very wealt or like very close knit group of wealth individuals. And according to the Dodd Frank Act in The wake of the 2018 financial crisis, this act removed this exemption and shed light or more light on the hedge fund industry. But nonetheless, the SEC has always let family offices decide for themselves whether they should be registered and filed regular report, regulatory reports. And obviously, no one wants to register because it means that you are, you know, controlled by the SEC. And、um, So long story short, the scandal has, you know,、uh, called for more regulation. Again, more transparency in the financial market.、Um, some banks are set to lose around ten billion dollars, but thankfully, there's no like systematic risk to the financial system as a whole.、Um, and there are really good articles by the FT about this.、Uh, one、uh, compares this whole deal with a very old scandal that happened、uh, with the. Long-term capital management in 1998, where they actually had to bail、uh, the fund out because there was、um, Russian sovereign debt crisis that basically was like bringing the market to crash. And this is like not as bad as it was in 1998. But yeah, fun times. There's this very funny,、uh, funny line in the article.、Um, That says, you know, it's like as if a Reddit、uh, retail trader got a Goldman Sachs credit card and went bananas. <laughs> and I think that just like, encapsulate the event. That was beautiful. Yeah. So, in conclusion, yet another thing 
in Elizabeth Warren's portfolio against big banks. They're just yes. playing like right, they're just playing right into her hands. <laughs> She's gonna ride this wave for like years to come. Yeah, I mean the main criticism is that the prime book is like did just didn't run the usual like risk management that you're supposed to do. Like you can't like, like in, in terms of proportion and size of investment, like you can't and the fact that the investment this came from like a family office it's just really weird that they would have this much amount of money and you know if you're like a regular like everyday person that holds Mm -hmm. stocks in those companies you would have it like halved in because of this Sophia would you like to introduce us to our theme this week of course. So this, the team this week is about how to get out of a slump, aka channel your inner bitch power and do it. <laughs> aka how to convince yourself that you are in fact the main character, aka how to turn your life around. I feel like this is very appropriate given that it's the season two premiere, don't you think? 100%. And I mean, our, our podcast revolves around design and lifestyle design, and we talked about it very not not that much to be honest so it's time to hit the nail it's time to hit the nail on the head hell yeah so um I don't know when the last time was that you were in a slump but I honestly like go through this kind of cycle before every semester it feels like where you know the holiday is kind of like winding down and you're starting to think like oh my god soon I have to go back to school I just finished finals the last time it was so stressful I hated myself for like a full three weeks and then somehow you need to like convince yourself that you are going to get through the semester and honestly I think like now I'm in week six or seven I'm actually not quite sure of the semester so like about halfway through and we don't have like a proper spring break because of COVID and like the school doesn't want people to like go on holiday uh, without telling anyone you know so we only have a long weekend which means that people are very stressed and so am I. And so I think I'm kind of getting into a slump of I don't want to do anything and yet the work is piling up. And um, I was hoping we might want to talk about that. When was your last slump? Honestly, like last week, because I was done with um, I was done with my midterms and like classes had just started. and I didn't have a break between exams and classes. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to take it easy this week. I'm not going to do shit. But then it turned it turned into a slump because, you know, it self fed itself. You know, when you start doing less, uh, then you do less and less. And you feel like even if you I noticed that also with physical exercise, like if you start being a couch potato then you get like way more physically exhausted than by you Mm. know going on a daily walking like 20 minutes a day or something and getting out out of the house and house and do like trivial stuff so yeah I think that's the problem about slump that's a vicious cycle that is a good point like I I don't want to make this um, make this sound like oh you control your emotions you choose to be sad because sometimes people are like actually depressed and like clinical depression doesn't just go away by like reading Pinterest quotes but like now that I am no longer clinically depressed um I can say that like if I start like sitting with my like frustration and agitation it only grows so I think you're completely right 
Yeah, because then like it, it's all in your head and you keep feeling this thought and then you don't really know how to face it and you don't want to face it. And you're procrastinating um, in a sense, feeling better. And that for me often reflects into like feeling physical fatigue, like feeling like body aches and, you know, feeling overly tired when I didn't do anything that will, you know, you know, drop my energy levels uh, that low. 100%. 100%. So what do you say is your first step when you feel like you're in a slump and you're kind of like ready to get out of it? It depends, but I, first of all, like, I think I learned over time to be more compassionate and, you know, telling myself it's okay to be in a slump for a day. If you are in the state, it's probably because your body and mind are telling you something and they're telling you to slow down. So I slow down. I just try to do that way more consciously. So instead of, you know, lying on the couch, scrolling Instagram, I try to make like a more conscious effort to lie on the couch and and read a book, listen to a podcast, listen to music, um, or even do like weird, like very simple stuff like cleaning the house, very small tasks, like while um, listening to music or cooking a nice meal, stuff that doesn't require that much focus and energy but that's also taking care of myself more consciously than just you know letting myself go I completely agree I actually so yesterday I had this moment where I like felt exactly that where I was like I need to like slow down and I need to just like not do anything and the thing is like you really have to put yourself in the mindset of like this is my relaxing time because otherwise you fall into the circle of like oh I should be working oh my god I feel so guilty oh my god oh my god and then you just like you're never gonna get out of the slump and so I think you are exactly right like not don't just like have unstructured relaxing time we're just gonna sound paradoxical but like don't have like unstructured relaxing time like try to like find things that you enjoy and that really take your mind off of things like last weekend I did the laundry that helped so much sleeping clean sheets really does something to you and like you know I was listening to Cheryl Sandberg as I was like folding my laundry in like our laundry place where I have to walk and like even if it's like minus 15 degrees it's horrible but um And then um, I made myself some good food and I was watching The Big Bang Theory and it was like very wholesome and very nice. Yeah, 100% um, share that. And I what I think I also do is I also try to think, okay, so today you decided that you don't want to work, you don't want to do anything. But, you know, there are these like things that you always want to do, but you, you know, put them off um, because you have other things to do and you prioritize them over other things. And for me, for example, it was uh, changing like my room decorations and like decorate my wall in a different way, which is something I've been wanting to do for like months. But every time I'm like, no, I mean, like, I have to finish this, I have to finish that, I need to go to bed early, I need to meet someone, I need to, like, you know, do other things, and I will always put that off. So whenever I'm in a slump, I try to do one of these things, like, you know, decorate my wall and, you know, go buy a plant and do this kind of stuff, or, like, go and buy, you know, makeup, mm. um, which I would usually put off, but, you know, it's it feels like you're still doing something for yourself, um, and it's, like, somewhat productive, which, you know, um, takes away the guilt. <laughs> But for me, I think the hardest part is the next day. Like, I'm okay with being in a slump for a day, but the next day I'm like, okay, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be, like, hyperproductive, <laughs> going to wake up at seven, do this, this, is this. And then the next day it's like, eh, 
not really like yeah and that's when I like I get mad with myself and I'm like okay you know the day after it's okay I need another day off okay but the day after tomorrow I'm gonna be on fire um yeah yeah it's kind of me today that is kind of me today like I woke up in the morning I woke up like quite early honestly and I remember it was so fucking weird like I was in bed and I was like half asleep but already feeling guilty over how I wasn't at the library which is fucking ridiculous because the library opens at nine in the morning there was no way I could have even been in the library that early I was laying in bed you have to imagine me like eyes closed like in my pajamas like oh I feel so bad about myself Um, And I had to have this like conscious dialogue with myself where I was like, okay, you're gonna do the work, but you know what? Like before you record the podcast, you could actually just like work on it, like in your room. And that is completely fine. You know, like maybe lower the bar for yourself a bit and just like tell yourself like, I'm going to work on this for half an hour, period. And then usually you know you'll get into the flow of it and it will be a lot easier to continue for a couple hours even. But yeah, and if, if, if half an hour is way too big for you, be like, I'm going to read one page. I'm going to read one sentence. Yeah. Like just, you know, because starting is always the hardest thing. Yeah, I do the same. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to work on it for five minutes. I put my phone on airplane mode uh, or um, whatever. And then I'm like, okay, it's five minutes. And I also make sure I have a reward. I'm like, okay, if I do this for five minutes, it means that after that I can, even if I don't want to, I can just stop working for the day and go out. And that works because then I get into the flow and then I, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on like another two hours or so. And then I actually reward myself with like, you know, self-care, like um, going out and, I think actually this conversation reminds me of um, uh, the one and only lifestyle guru, Rowena Tsai. Because um, she made uh-huh, this really yeah. good series <laughs> about how you should manage your energy and not your time. Because time yeah, is something you cannot too. control and energy in terms of, you know, like being present and focused and, you know, you should really do um, what she calls us energy audit, where you really think about which activities give you energy and which drain your energy. And um, you could do it by, you know, uh, she she draws a graph of her time and the activity she does during the day with like peaks and droughts and she tries to identify what the things that brought the drought, like even if it's just like, you know, having a food coma after lunch or uh, feeling tired from yesterday. And another way to do that is through a scorecard where you just list all your activities and do like plus, minus or neutral, depending on how they affect your energy. And that helps a lot, like a lot, because we can't just have the expectation of being like active 100% of the time. And there are seasonalities during the day and seasonalities of life. And yeah. Do Do you know if this has, we've talked about James Clear a lot on this podcast, but do you know if this is like something that he did? Because I have this memory of like him also um doing like a school card where it's like you record yeah, yeah, yeah. literally this, like everything you did de- do over the day yeah yeah the scorecard idea actually comes from james clear and she explains the right. whole concept of energy management of uh, framing it around the i think it's called the awareness cycle um the cycle of improvement sorry uh by james clear um uh, where you know you start with awareness so you start with what you want to uh, what to need to improve on and just thinking about you know 80 20 rule like what's something that if I just make the small adjustment will just make tomorrow instantly better and then you do put the conscious effort on the specific things so you practice making an habit then you rinse and repeat and then you do it with other activities that makes sense 
I don't know. I feel like I should do that because every single weekend I tell myself like I'm going to clean my room and then I'm going to do yoga. Those things I usually do, but then I always tell myself like, oh, I want to like really sit down and like journal and reflect on like what I could do better and like really, as you said, like audit, I suppose, like my energy and my routines in a way. But it's like a very overwhelming task because it does take a lot of thinking like self-reflection is a very like you know energy consuming thing ironically yeah it's um I think it's all about you know having the patience for like the trial and error of this thing which is something I really don't have like I want like improvements like immediately I'm just like a very impatient person and you know like recognizing it's part of the process it's like the first step I would say um but I also do this thing that would I'm like okay like next week I'm gonna start with like my ideal morning routine which is like yoga and then studying and then like workout and then doing this recipe and so the rest yeah um I think we have to just you know also recognize that you need to do very incremental steps especially when you're in a slump because when you're so you you don't really you already don't have enough energy to bring yourself to do things so start with something small and then it's gonna you know build that intrinsic motivation that you need Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like speaking of like incremental changes, I did a lot of changes to my morning routine when I came back for the spring, exactly because I was in that week before the semester where I was like, oh my God, how am I going to possibly like bring myself into the mindset of wanting to do the semester? Um, And especially during COVID, that's really hard because like social life is not the same. Academics aren't the same. And it's just like, I think pandemic fatigue is very real. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to wake up before seven and I'm going to do yoga, and I'm going to do reflections, and the thing is, like, as of right now, like, the reflections thing every single day has only worked because I've set the bar really low for myself, like, I only write, like, bullet points and not entire sentences, and even that feels like a bit overwhelming sometimes. The yoga and waking up early, however, has stuck, because, like, I don't know, I just, I'm such a lightweight for, like, workout endorphins, so that Mm -hmm. what I do is, like, Every evening I put my yoga mat like out next to my bed. And the first thing I do in the morning before I even go to pee is I get on my yoga mat and I do 10 minutes of yoga. And it's just like, my days are instantly so much better. And now it's like, I really can't start my day before I've like done my practice. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, the thing about um, putting the yoga mat, you know, like you're creating this nudge for yourself. Uh, that helps a lot. Like I, I do that with my evening routine where I really try not to be on my phone at least like half an hour ideally one hour but let's be real half an hour before I fall asleep and so what I do is that I systematically put my phone to charge like really away from the bed so if I'm lying in bed I'm going to be too lazy to wait like to stand up and pick up my phone which um, helps me with you know reading a book which is on the bedside table and even waking up uh, in the morning without snoozing my alarm that much because I have to stand up, walk all the way there, turn it off. And by that time, I'm like really close to the door. So I open it and go have breakfast. So that 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 does help a lot. Yeah. And you can even do it in like really, like, I guess like quote unquote, like extreme ways. I think James Clear talks about like literally putting the book on your pillow open at the page that you were reading. So like, just make, you know, the, like put the threshold as low as possible for yourself, because like when you're building willpower, you really need to start really low. I wanted to go back to something you said about like, 
you know, the instant gratification and James Clear again, because, you know, he is the master of all of this, I think, um, or at least he writes about it very well. Um, and, you know, I was, some time ago, I was doing research into morning routines and I wanted to like see if there was any actual, you know, like psychological research done into like what morning routines actually like do to people. And something that I came across multiple times is that in many morning routines, the first thing that they tell you to do is to make your bed. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And like the theory is that it is like a very easy thing to do. But if you do it, like the first thing in the morning is going to feel like a win. Like you're mm. like starting out your day with like, okay, I have like accomplished something. I have done a task. And then like after that initial win, it's a lot easier to go forward and do other things because you already have kind of like one in the bag, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. That's true. Um, I notice a difference when I immediately make my bed or not. And also this thing I do every time I wake up is to pull my curtains, open the window and like feel the fresh air. And mm. that's just like, that's like my sign that, okay, day starting. I did this, like, you know, I woke up and then I go have breakfast and make my bath. That's true, hundred yeah. percent. Um, I think it's the also... window opening. <laughs> I haven't tried that. <laughs> I know I do it, and it's also nice because you know you check like what's the weather like. You just immediately like look at outside and you know see. Um, also my window um overlooks a street that's quite um trafficked, and so you see like people walking around. And, you know I see like people doing stuff, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's time. I should do it. <laughs> um. I love that. I miss that from a city, by the way. Like my window is just there's trees, which you know is, is nice and pretty, but I totally feel like one of my favorite things is like over the summer, last summer when I was like, you know, kind of starting to like study for the LSAT for real, I would like leave for the library very early in the morning because I just couldn't study at home. And I'd be like, you know, I had my coffee and I'd be like walking through people, like the very few people that were commuting to work at that time in the summer because of Corona. But I don't know, there's just like something about like seeing people start their day that is so like, I don't know, there's, there's so much like humanity in that, which is sappy, but I love it. <laughs> Another thing um, she talks about, if I remember well, is just to classify the four buckets of energy. So like physical energy, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And I mean, physical is quite self-explanatory. So it's all about, you know, sleep, nutrition, exercise, uh, you know, taking care of your body, emotional is about, you know, uh, practicing gratitude, being mindful, um, practicing your hobbies, um, mental energy is about, you know, uh, the mind. So being focused on one thing and one thing only and don't do any like switching of tasks because that actually really, like it's better to focus on something for like 19, 120 minutes and then take a really full break. And then spiritual energy is about, you know, the lack of motivation. So creating intrinsic motivation by, you know, aligning what you do with your core values, your goals, blah, blah, blah. So which of these buckets of energy do you feel like you struggle the most with when you're in a slump? So wait, physical is obviously physical. Emotional is... Like being mindful, um, right. being grateful, just probably being there. That one. I think probably honestly that one. I Because when I'm in a slump, as I, as I already kind of like alluded to, I think I get to like, I tend to 
get very wound up in thinking about how bad I feel and how like nothing is going my way and like I think the thing that often returns me to like this spiritual plane if you will um is you know I hate to fucking say this, but like I go on Pinterest and I look at all the things that I've pinned to this like very specific board that I've titled, like, I look at this when I need a hit. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. That's who I am. Okay. And then, you know, I do some writing and then I'm usually like um, much better off. What about you? Yeah, I would say it's the same. It's like emotional energy because I mean, all the top partner I we described throughout um, the episode so far, you know, the whole, I'm in a slump, I need to get out of it. I mean, okay, I'll take one day off, but then, you know, the whole inner monologue of, you know, okay, I'm taking one day off, but next, like tomorrow, I need to be like Superman. And so, you know, you just have like this impatience of getting out of slump. Just you, you just want the time to pass by. So you're like, okay, I'm just going to wait for this day to end and to be over and tomorrow's going to be another day. And then you realize it's not like, not, it's not really how it works. So yeah, I struggle a lot with like, I think, gratitude and you know being more mindful but it helps me a lot to do my hobbies even if it's just like you know taking care of my plans for sure because it's you know you're already like feeling I think for me it's like about being grounded like I feel way more grounded and less disconnected although I I know that because my energy is so slow so low I can't really click with like the hectic you know day of other people and uh, everyday activities no that's so true what did I want to say oh yeah this reminds me of um something that Cheryl Sandberg said which is that and this was like she related to this to you know like performance anxiety with women who are like very high achieving that they like expect the very best performance of themselves also in motherhood but I think we can also like relate to this where it's like you know when you're a perfectionist, when you're like high performing, when you're a high performing woman, it's that like you're used to like performing at such a high rate that then when like you are in a slump, which is a very natural feeling, that like acknowledgement of like not being at your best is going to like clash with your perfectionism and make you feel like a failure and it's only mm-hmm. going to like just spiral down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the whole reason why I'm really impatient when it to like to get out of it, and I exactly. want to get out of it yeah, as yeah. soon as I can because I need to go back to do the shit I want to do, and like you know work towards my goals. Exactly, and that's like when like anytime there's like the concept of like spiraling, you're full spiraling out of control. I love that you said the word grounded because that's like what I like tell myself too is like I want to be like rooted and whole and grounded, um, and the only way that I really achieve that is like unplug and journal (laughs) and again read my Pinterest quotes (laughs) my silly little Pinterest quotes yeah I mean that's if it works for you that's fine um I I noticed that for me two things help a lot which is taking a walk with good music and Mm. turning off my phone or like putting on airplane mode like don't look at it um as well because Either I fall like into vicious cycle of Instagram, online shopping, that kind of stuff. Like I do so much online shopping when I feel sad. Like I, oh, yeah. I don't know, because <laughs> I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna reward myself and spend money. Um, and then also if I I get a message from one of my friends and I see that you know they ran like 13k today, which is something they wouldn't normally do, and they're doing something extraordinary productive in a day where I can't do shit, like even just work for five minutes, that makes me like 
even more mad because I just you know keep spiraling more and more about like how I'm not like synchronized with like them and like how I'm not in the same flow and like you know as you see all these people with the energy and you can't do things and you start like self-pitying yourself so turning off the phone absolutely it's a must and wearing makeup putting on a nice outfit going out (laughs) and wearing makeup does wonders putting on makeup and like really like you know pumping yourself up brings me to something that I wanted to say about Pinterest which is that like when I'm in a slump I feel like the thing that like kicks me back into like the right gear is that I romanticize the fuck out of my life like you know yes wear the nice outfit like you know put on the nice makeup take myself out for like coffee or something but then like also like put all the pictures on Pinterest of like the things like your wildest hairiest dream make a board out of it and every time you feel like quitting just look at that like I'm gonna do that yeah I'm actually it's gonna great. do that. I'm gonna create like a photo album on my on my phone because and do that. Incidentally, I've gotten like a lot of serotonin from Chiara Ferrani, who just had her daughter. <laughs> and I've so, feel so blonde. And she's breastfeeding. Have you seen she's yeah. breastfeeding? Yeah. Oh guys, no. breastfeeding was our conversation started, like it's the basis of the friendship with, between me <laughs> and Elsa. Yeah, if you want to hear that story, I think that's in like the first episode or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like you know, with the whole, you know, uh, pandemic and all these celebrities getting kids, because I mean, you're locked inside, what else should you be doing? Um, <laughs> like, there are so many, like, mom influencers on Instagram, like, Chiara is kind of like one, and then you have, like, Valeria, um, Lipovetsky, yeah. Lip- yeah, I don't remember, yeah, yeah Lipovetsky, and then some other ones. And like, also, I think had a baby as well. Yeah. And sometimes, I, yeah. And like, sometimes I get mad because it's like, you know, not only they were selling a lifestyle to me, which was like a luxurious lifestyle with this like apartments full of plants and uh, a certain type of furniture that looks the same everywhere else. The, on and it could be like straight out of an ikea catalog and like they're selling me like the food they eat they're selling me the clothes they they wear and now they're also selling me this idea that i should also get a baby and that makes me kind of mad sometimes because <laughs> i should be i should be i should be free like of that choice like i know i want to be a mother eventually like very late in my life like in 10 years time probably um but you know like you know it's it, I don't know like I just don't like how it seems like they're so happy now they have that I have a kid that's interesting because I also think it was like the point of view of these people that decided not to have kids and now they have like their Instagram spammed all over with all the celebrities getting kids and doing great things and like having the perfect family life right that's interesting because like I definitely feel like so I won't say that I'm like a huge fan of Elsa Husk or that like I you know follow her like intensely but you know I think like when someone is like you know in their in their mid-20s let's say and they don't have children and you know they're just kind of like going around like hanging with their friends and like showing off their cute clothes you kind of still feel like you're in the same generation you're kind of like still in the same stage of life in a way and then you know she had her baby who's so cute and her name is Thule because Elsa Husk's mom is Finnish and Thule is like her middle name I think so that's where that came from and that made the Elsa club very happy um <laughs> but um you know you still kind of felt like she was like in the same kind of generational space as you and now she has a baby and suddenly she 
is old she is adult she is like in a completely different like place in her life than you and I don't know to me in her case that made her like a bit less interesting Kiara I'll follow even if she's like 85 because I'm so attached to her because I've followed her for so long and then like Valeria I only kind of got acquainted with once she already had children Mm, so yeah but that's an interesting observation same I agree with you that like you know it creates a separation um in terms of you know age and lifestyle you know like they got the kids so that's something like it furthers the distance between you as a viewer and them as celebrities uh and as that's especially too with like Valeria I mean she's like in her 30s she already had three kids like not just one like three so that feels like you know she's like really settled uh in her life um which is not the same like the same life stage where we are at, at the moment um yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, it further enhances the distance of, you know, like, um, I don't know, like this distance uh, when you're looking at them from afar, from the bottom to, like, and they're looking them at, and they're looking down on you because, you know, now you have an extra thing to, like, idealize about them when it wasn't mm. their beauty, their looks or lifestyle. Now you also, they have the additional component of having, like, hot-looking husbands and having, like, the perfect <laughs> family life. And, you know, I'm... I, that makes me mad because I'm like that's not a realistic portrayal of family and you know mm-hmm. if I were to be 28 and see that and you know wanting a family because you know when you're around 28 like 30 you, you start thinking about it usually then I don't know like that's that's why it drives me mad as well because you know they're also not only selling a lifestyle but also selling a way to do family which I I think people should be free to figure out on their own I haven't thought about that. Also, that it's way. very heteronormative if you think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's 100% like straight couples having kids and they all 100%. look beautiful. So, wait, I'm um, like, are you talking like more broadly about when you say that they're like selling a way to like have a family? Are you like talking more broadly about like the influencer culture or just about these people? No, the influencer culture. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. thinking about these people because these are people I follow, but yeah. Mm. No, I agree with that. And I mean, like, the whole. I guess like one thing that I find really sad is like I've listened to um for example like Jen Gunter who we've talked about and like postpartum is like super super stressful and like you know like also a huge thing for your body and very few influencers like talk about that realistically and especially when it comes to these like you know really high paid models and not just like Instagram models but like actual models like Elsa Horska and these people is like they pop out the baby and the next pic they post is like them and their old jeans and there's like none of the in between where it's like you look like you're pregnant for four more days after like probably a week honestly like after you've like had the child you know mm-hmm. um and I think that's like quite disingenuous but that might just be me but I still like I also enjoy looking at their cute babies they're so chubby and cute so it's a double-edged sword Absolutely. I don't know how we got to talking about this, but is it time for our overheard? I think it's time. Two guys talking on the Lower East Side on a rooftop. First one says, what are you going to do when your lease is up? My roommate bought a boat off Rhode Island. We will sail until we find something. (laughs) That's funny. Honestly, same. Great. Well, so this has been a great start to our season two of Equally Lost, I'd say. Yeah, it was. 
hopefully we keep it up.